film-loving world. My name is John Barber, and I'm your host for Fixed It In Post, the Rabbit Room podcast about all things movies. Not only do we talk about movies we love, but we also discuss how we'd fix their problems if someone gave us the editing suite for a few hours. Special thanks go out to Andrew Osinga for our theme music, the very cinematic Spacewalk off his Solar Winds EP. Let's get to it. All right, so here in our first ever episode of Fixed It in Post, our new Rabbit Room Movies podcast, we wanted to take a look back at 2018 at some of our favorite movies and maybe a disappointment or two. So uh, joining me, as always, is the executive director of the Rabbit Room, Pete Peterson. Hey, guys. I cannot wait to talk about my disappointment. <laughs> That's not necessarily the best way to kick this off. I know. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> so the way that we're going to do this, and if, if you've heard our past movie podcast, you'll this will be familiar to you. But the way that we do this is we'll each talk about our numbers 10 through 6 of the year. And then after that, we'll go back and forth and talk about each movie in our top five. So... Pete, I'm going to turn it over to you first to do your numbers 10 through 6, if that's okay. Yeah, man. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to blow through these these bottom five. Uh, sorry, it's not it's the bottom five of my top 10, <laughs> if that makes sense. So these are not movies that I hated. These are movies that I loved. So my number 10 is a movie I think a lot of people probably didn't see and a lot of people probably wouldn't like. And it's uh, The Death of Stalin. It was an independent film, came out, it stars Steve Buscemi and just a whole litany of great character actors in this crazy, insane, fast-paced comedy about the day that Stalin died and all, and all the jockeying for position amongst the like upper brass of the Soviet Union, which sounds like a really weird setting for a comedy, but it is hilarious. Um, it is definitely not everybody's cup of tea, though, but uh, man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, that's number 10. So then number nine is The Incredibles 2. I had high hopes for it. I didn't see how it could be as good as the first one, and I thought it measured up. I still think I like the first one better, but it's just a great movie. Uh, Then number nine, and this one's going to surprise a lot of people, I think, and probably anger some people, is Into the Spider-Verse. I put this just ahead of The Incredibles. But my thing with this movie was is it was absolutely delightful, like loved everything about it. I uh, have nothing bad to say about it, really, except that it's, it is so predictable. It's exactly the same old superhero origin story we've seen a hundred times. Like, there's nothing interesting about the movie at the plot level. Uh, and, you know, as revolutionary it was, as it was in all these other ways, um, I just felt like, come on, can't we come up with something new with a story as well? And uh, so that's why I've got it at number eight. And that's also why I put number seven ahead of it. Number seven is Avengers Infinity War. Um, because it does do something new and interesting with the superhero genre. You know, it, it gives me a villain that you can that is the protagonist of the movie. And that in a lot of ways you find yourself rooting for in this weird, complicated kind of way. And it's a miracle that that movie worked at all with that many characters. So kudos on that one. And then six is, uh, I believe, I've always believed that cinema is at its best when it's telling stories with its pictures, not necessarily with its words. And a great example of that is A Quiet Place. Uh, there's almost you know no words in the whole movie. It relies solely uh, on its cinematography to tell the story. 
And as soon as you start to think about some of the details of it, yeah, a lot of it falls apart and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when it's got you in its spell, it's absolutely wonderful. So that's my the bottom five of my top ten. Hey, that's great. And I've not seen The Death of Stalin, but that's sort of on my I'd love to watch it list. But I, I didn't make it to that one. Um, You're going to love it. Yeah. And I agree with you about The Incredibles. It's not going to be on my list. It's, it's a bit further down. Um, I liked it okay. I didn't love it. Um, Avengers Infinity War also not on my list, but I like it. I like it a whole lot. It's basically like my whole childhood on the screen. If if they had found a way to get the X Men in there too, it would have been my whole childhood on the screen. Oh man, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's it's just outside my top ten. I liked it a lot. Also, just outside my top ten, Hereditary, which I liked a lot. The Favorite, which I'm sure you'll hear about Oscar time. Annihilation, which I thought was beautiful. And I won't tell you everything because I want to leave some for surprises that I left out. But um, yeah, a couple of those almost made my top ten too. Yeah. The old man and the gun, which I thought was really delightful. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, it's great. Right outside my top ten. But um, so my numbers ten through six. Uh, at number ten, uh, you just named this one, and it's a quiet place. Um, saw this one in the theater, and it is hands down one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had. I saw it at night by myself with an almost empty theater and uh, the tension is so palpable all the time throughout that movie. I think it's, it's just, yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's great. And you know, later in the year bird box tried to rip it off to terrible. Oh my gosh. Talk about disappointments. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, it's it's bad. Um, But, but I'm also disappointed. Sorry to interrupt. I'm also disappointed that there's a sequel to The Quiet Place coming. Really? I'm like, what is it with us and sequels? You know, like to try to recapture that kind of lightning in a bottle. It's just folly. You know, just let it be. It was great. Let it be. It was great. And and I loved it. And I almost, I want to see it again, but I almost don't because all of that tension won't be present. And I... That's what I love the most about it. And plus, Krasinski is great, and Emily Blunt is great. She'll show up again in my top ten here in a minute. Um, it's just it's, – it's excellent. Excellent movie. Um, number nine, I've got uh, You Were Never Really Here, which um, is Lynn Ramsey's film starring Joaquin Phoenix. It's kind of a revenge yeah. action thriller that's very psychedelic and non-narrative – um, but it's beautiful and it's yeah uh, hard to watch in places. But it might surprise you to know that, or it might not, that uh, that just barely missed my list of disappointments. Ha! Huh. It's <laughs> it's a divisive kind of movie. Like it it really is. But but I thought it was pretty wonderful. Um, I think you'll you might agree with me on this next one, my number seven, which was the certainly the most fun I had in a theater all year, um, which was Mission Impossible Fallout. That was a fun movie. Yeah, and I just love it, and I've seen it again since then, and uh, I just I, I can't get enough of it. It's like the best kind of candy for me. It's not even the best Mission Impossible movie, but I still I just I love every movie. Top of it. ten though, top ten, top ten. All yeah, right, I just it's it's in terms of like when I sit and I think about boy, what movies did I love from this year? It just pops back in my head all the time, so I, I couldn't keep it out. All right, but it, it's it's interesting, ju- kind of put next to my next movie, which is at number seven. It, it would be very difficult to find a more different movie uh, than Paul Schrader's First Reformed, which comes at number seven oh, man. for me. So I haven't seen that, and I've only heard bad things about it from people I know, and I've only heard good things about it from like the interweb reviews. 
I'm not sure who you're talking to because it's brilliant. And right. um, I only had a hard time keeping it out of my top five because of the ones in my top five that I like so much. So it's the fact that it only makes it to seven on my list is not a knock against it. Yeah. It's only that um, I like the other ones more. Now, it it's different and um, it's brutal in places. Yeah. Well, it's definitely on my list and I can't wait. And like I'm a bi- usually a big fan of divisive movies. Yeah. If a movie is divisive, I will usually come out on the side of liking it because that usually means that a movie took a lot of risks. Um, so I don't know where the, where I'll land on this one, but it yeah. it just really quick, the things the negative things that I've heard about it are that if you're making a movie that has Christianity so central to it, um, I've heard people say that they're really frustrated that it was clear that there was no Christian involved in making it. Because people say things and talk in ways that Christians do not. And like it uses, like somebody refers to the book of Revelations. Like, you know, it's, it, it just, it just immediately snaps people out of the movie. If you are a Christian and you're watching this and it becomes apparent to you that they're talking about you, but they don't really know you. Yeah, my, my pushback to that would be that there are all kinds of different Christians in this country in this world and to sort of paint with a broad brush that it doesn't sound like me. Yeah, that's fair. um, It's it's problematic because the context in which, in which Ethan Hawke's priest character lives looks nothing like the context in which I function on a daily basis. I mean, nothing, absolutely in, in no way. So uh, that didn't, it didn't even register with me. But we can agree that if you say revelations, you are outside You are outside of salvation. I I don't. I'm not sure I can agree with that because I'm I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't say that growing up. I'm kidding. So I'm not going to go that far. Um, It's great. Okay. You got to just go see it. Everybody should go see it. Please, please, please go see it. It should have gotten nominated for all of the Oscars, and I wish it had. But speaking of nominated for Oscars, my number six movie is the one that I'm going to be rooting for on Oscar night, which this year I find to be kind of a miserable field of nominees but this is the one that i'm rooting for uh over and above all of them and that's spike lee's black klansman oh man i'm so bummed that i haven't seen this yet yeah it's um it manages to be a story about uh the police and the clan in the 70s starring a black actor and be really funny and um, not that being funny is the point, because it's also very poignant and and hard to watch in places and all of those things. But it's Lee having fun with us a little bit and really sort of at his I don't know if it's at his best because I'm not sure it's Spike Lee's best movie, but I think it's going to be the one he gets recognized for. And uh, and it's great. And I wish you had seen it and you should go see it. And it's also a yeah. true story, which is a lot of fun, too. Yeah, it's for sure on my list. I have to say though, I am I've never been a Spike Lee fan. Like I've seen I've seen most of his movies and I've always thought, yeah, that was all right. But I've never seen anything that I thought was great. Um maybe do the right thing, but yeah, I mean Yeah, I'd I definitely yeah. put do the right thing on the great list. And, and as well as a couple of his other movies. But yeah. All right. Before all right. we get before we get to our top fives, why don't we go ahead and do our biggest disappointments of okay. the year? Okay. So you go first, Pete. Me first. Okay. So I'm going to talk about two. Um, the first one is Solo. Uh, I like I went in 
I go into any Star Wars movie with uh, really high hopes and with a lot of forgiveness. Like, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be better than the sequels, you know? I mean, the prequels. Uh, so, you know, while I didn't really, I didn't dislike Solo so much as I was just disappointed by it. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like, one, it's one of the ugliest, it's the ugliest movie in the Star Wars canon. Sure. Like whoever shot that movie, like, sh- I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. Like when I initially went to see it, I felt like there was something wrong with the projector because I couldn't see people's faces. Yep. And then due to the sound mix, because I couldn't see their lips, uh, I even was missing dialogue because it was hard to understand. And and so I came out of it giving it a lot of grace for that uh, and just thinking, well, I'm going to watch this again when it comes out on video. I'm going to see it on my nice high-def screen, and it's going to be great. And I did, and it was exactly the same. Um, (laughs) I just don't understand why the movie was shot that way. Um, because there's some great performances in it, and there, there's some witty writing here and there. There's also some really, really clunky stuff. But uh, yeah, it's the, I feel like it's the first non-prequel Star Wars film that disappointed me, and uh, so that was a disappointment. Again, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I mean, it's 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 not an embarrassment. It's just a disappointment. So then my other one is, and just spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about Mary Poppins later, and I think it's really helpful to think about why I liked Mary Poppins in light of this movie. And this one is Christopher Robin. When I saw the trailer for it, like I was all in, like the trailer just about moved me to tears, you know, Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin and recapturing childhood and all this kind of stuff. Like those are themes that I love. And man, we watched this movie and it was, I couldn't wait for it to be over. It was just one of the worst scripts I've seen produced since, well, since Aquaman, (laughs) Yeah, it was just when the animals were on screen, the animals I thought were great, but everything a human said was ridiculous. Like, it was just a terrible, terrible adaptation, or not adaptations, it's original, but it was a terrible movie. And I was really embarrassed for for Disney on that one. And so it was, which makes it that much more delightful that Mary Poppins uh, comes along and tries to do a lot of the same things and doesn't fall into the same pitfalls. So that's my two. Yeah, and um, I mean, I agree with you about Solo. I liked it okay, and I. It, it's funny that you mentioned that one because you know I keep my yearly viewing on a letterboxed list, and Solo was just it was so just okay for me that I literally didn't put it. I forgot to put it on my list. Like yeah. it was, I just forgot. I just realized right now that it's nowhere on my list, even though I did see it in the theater, and I thought it was like fine, but yeah, but mostly forgettable. Um, and I haven't seen Christopher Robin, yeah. but um, now I probably won't. Um, mine, my disappointment, and I'm a little surprised you didn't mention this one, um, because I can't remember being more excited for a movie and then being more let down, and that was A Wrinkle in Time. I haven't read the um, book. I haven't seen the movie. That is nightmarish to me that you haven't read A Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> I know, I know. I think you should be fired immediately from your position as the executive director of the rabbit room. And everyone that is listening, please write to your local congressman to get Pete Peterson removed for not reading a wrinkle in time. Um, but a wrinkle in time, beloved novel by Madeline Langle. And I've read it to all of my children, all of those things. And then I find out that it's being directed by Ava DuVernay and it's going to have this great cast and all of those things. And it lives up to none of it. How does one live up to giant Oprah? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is the, the the entire movie turns into a pulpit for Oprah Winfrey to spout uh, her sort of nonsensical, uh, spiritual whatever. 
gobbledygook. And it's just not good. And it's so disappointing. And I, I was so excited for it. And we went to see it on opening weekend with the whole family and the whole thing. And then that's it really was, it, disappointing. It was miserable. And, um, yeah, so disappointment, but yeah, let's talk about movies instead that we actually really liked. Let's do our number, uh, five through one. All right, let's and do it. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? People? I'll go first. Sure. Do it. So my number five is man. Okay. So I'll also say my number five, my one through five could almost be in any order. Like I love, I desperately love all of these movies. It was really hard for me to put them in an order. The difference between one and five is very small. And my number five was First Man, which is about Neil Armstrong's trip to the moon. You know, I kind of went into it dreading it. I think the only reason I was looking forward to it at all was because I knew it was directed by Damien Chazelle. Because, you know, the basic, the, the trailer, the movie itself just looked like it was going to be your standard Hollywood biopic. Which, you know, there's movies that are okay, but I don't get excited about them. I don't get excited about them very often. So when I went in, I didn't have very high expectations. And it just blew me away. Like, I was so happy with the way he kind of subverted those Hollywood blockbuster biopic expectations uh, by making a really quiet internal movie about, like, kind of like about one man's internal grief and struggle. And then, you know, intersecting that is just this amazing display of filmmaking. You know, where, you know, you're going up in these rockets and it's it's kind of like this first person perspective and the sound design is all around you and you're seeing the nuts and bolts rattle and like you really feel like you're in a tin can being shot out of a cannon and it's terrifying it's just beautiful filmmaking. The way that the film climaxes emotionally, I didn't see coming and it just kind of took my breath away and was just, re- it's just a beautiful movie. I uh, loved every minute of it. Loved it. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening to this, it's important for you to know that Pete and I have not compared lists before this. So neither one of us has any idea what's on our individual lists. So that's why it's funny that my number five movie is First Man, uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. See, this is why I like you. All of the things you just said are right. The thing that you left out that really matters is the casting, specifically Claire Foy as yeah. Armstrong's wife, who's phenomenal. Yeah. And as well as like all of the minor roles being played by these great actors. And, Absolutely. You know, I won't spend a lot of time on this because Pete's right, but it is, if you live in a city like my city, it's just been put back into theaters. So if you have the opportunity oh. to go see this in a movie theater, please, 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 please go. Yeah. This is absolutely something at home. Absolutely. You have to see this movie in a theater. And I it's still want to like, see it again at home, but yeah, it won't be the same. It won't be the same just for the sound design alone. It's beautiful and it's compelling and Gosling is great and everything about it's really good. So yeah. So that's my number five, same as Pete's. All right. So number four, uh, this is my only documentary in the top five and it blows my mind that this didn't get an Oscar nomination for best doc. And it's uh, won't you be my neighbor, Mr. Rogers. This was one of, my favorite movie going experiences ever. Like we went to see it at the local, the Belmont theater here in town, which is where they show all the indie films. It was jam packed with people and people were singing along to the songs. People were weeping. There were gales of laughter. I I, I think I cried through most of the movie. Like it was just so wonderful, so refreshing, so endearing, such a like just shot of optimism and hope into the world. Yeah, I've just, I, it's a miracle of a documentary that everybody should watch. 
So what's interesting about that is is that's one that I haven't seen. Oh man. I know it's crazy, and we went. We wanted to go see it in the theater, and then something happened, and we weren't able to go. And I just haven't caught up with it. And I know that I should have. And I, I'm disappointed oh, in that. I'm so sad for you because you're you're going to miss that communal experience that was so yeah. so a part of it. I would have loved to have, and I just haven't. But I will. I will. I forgive you. That's okay. My number four, which if I had to guess, would be one that I'm going to hear about again here in a few minutes. I'm not going to hold you to this, Pete, but it's just a guess on my part. And it is the Coen Brothers and the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, six-part vignette uh, film that weaves together these stories that are kind of connected, but mostly not, including... Uh, you know Tim Blake Nelson as Buster Scruggs and James Franco and you know all these great actors. Tom Waits. So my two favorite vignettes in the movie, I think the two best are Meal Ticket uh, with Liam Neeson mm-hmm. as the impresario, with Harry Melling as the artist. That one is a little divisive. I talked to someone the other day that said I got to that part and I just quit. I couldn't do it. What? I couldn't handle what? That. what? Wait, what? I know. And oh I thought gosh. it was. It's Don't br- tell it's, me who that person is because I can't be friends with them. Right <laughs> it may be sort of the best 15 or 20 minutes of the year. Of oh. um, and then also uh, Zoe Kazan and the girl that got rattled. Um, yeah. Uh, which is the maybe the longest one. I'm not sure. It may be the longest piece in the movie, but uh, it's great as well. But of course, like you said, Tom Waits in All Gold Canyon. I'm in love with that section of the movie. It may not be the best one, but it's the one I'm in love with the most. And uh-huh. um, I love Tom yeah. Waits and I, I love that part of the movie and I want to live in that little valley and all of those things. I, Buster Scruggs as a film, it's amazing to me that it exists, yeah. that something like this was was made. And I know it was originally supposed to be an episodic series on Netflix, got turned into a single film. Um, but boy, oh, I'm so glad. glad. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, it's brilliant. Yeah. That's my number four. Yeah. We'll hear more about that. All <laughs> right. So, okay. It's my turn. Yep. Number three. Okay, man, this was a hard one for me. I hope my my wife doesn't punch me. My my number three is Mary Poppins Returns. Okay, so a couple of things that you need to know about me. I have only seen Mary Poppins once, the original movie. I've only seen it once. In my childhood, I'd seen bits and pieces of it, and I was kind of always mildly, mildly terrified with it. In my mind, it was the same as bed knobs and broomsticks and some other things, and she was always a scary character to me, so I never really watched it. When I got married to Jennifer, it's maybe Jennifer's favorite movie, and she made me sit down and watch it. And I, while I appreciated it, and I can certainly appreciate the context in which it, you know, became a classic, it's not a movie that I enjoy. I definitely enjoy Bill or Dick Van Dyke and the the chimney sweep dance, but overall, the, the music is almost unbearable to me. I'm just not a fan. So, having said that, <laughs> when uh, the trailer for Mary Poppins Returns came out. Like, I was immediately like, oh my gosh, this actually looks great. And I love Emily Blunt. And like, I can't wait to go see this with my wife, who I know will love it and all this kind of stuff. So we went to see it. And I didn't know what to expect, really. You know, it could have been a real disappointment. It could have been something I didn't care much about. And it could have been great. But I was completely blown away. Like, I I cried through almost the whole movie with with happiness. It was so delightful. It was so well-written, well-acted. The songs are unforgettable, lyrically fantastic. All the performances are great. Emily Blunt is like, oh my gosh, she's magical in this movie. I know it's it's heresy for me to say this for a lot of people, but man, I'll take Emily Blunt over Julie Andrews any day. 
I just loved everything about her. And so we went to see this movie a couple times. I can't wait to see it again. We've listened to the soundtrack over and over and over again. It was just such a breath of fresh air. And Jennifer, everybody should go to the rabbit room and read this post that Jennifer wrote about Mary Poppins and Bruce Springsteen. But she makes the really perceptive argument that part of what's different between Mary Poppins and something like Christopher Robin is Christopher Robin was relying solely on its nostalgia, solely on the fact that, you know, here's a bunch of adults who are missing out on their childhood and they're looking back and longing for the way things were. And the movie is trying to kind of capitalize on that. Whereas with Mary Poppins, that's not what's going on here. Yes, the central story is about a man who needs to grow young again, but it's also about the children who need to grow young again. And it's about the kind of joy of how childhood infuses every part of our lives and wonder and imagination and all these things. And uh, she, she points out that it's like a looking forward to the childhood yet to come you know, in the new creation. And, uh, you know, while I can't say that the filmmakers are wading into those deep theological waters, I definitely think that they've hit on some things that like are of eternal importance in this movie. And I just want everybody to see it. And I will never not like this movie. And I will never say no to watching it again. I loved it so much. All right. I've, I've raved enough. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. And hang around for a few minutes because you might hear me do a similar thing about that movie. But not yet, because my number three movie, it might be possible to get a more different movie than Mary Poppins, but I'm not sure you can. Um, My number three movie is a movie called The Tale. And The Tale. What what is this movie? I haven't even heard of this movie. Yeah, so The Tale uh, was written and directed by Jennifer Fox, stars Laura Dern. And it's a movie about, uh, and before I get too far into this, let me just say that this is a movie that's very hard to watch. Uh, and there are some scenes of, of, of sexual abuse. So if, that's, if that sort of thing is difficult for you, you might want to stay away from this one. But it's the true story, the autobiographical story of Jennifer Fox as a filmmaker, um, looking back at her childhood and examining the sexual abuse that she encountered at the hands of a couple of her coaches. And the scenes of, of abuse are really, really difficult to watch. Um, you should know if you do decide to watch this, the one of the questions I had was, um, yes, body doubles were used, um, in some of the scenes that could potentially involve children. So I'm just going to say oh, that, wow. that, that is important. That says a lot. Yeah. That says a lot. So um, it also stars Elizabeth Debicki, who you may have seen in Widows this year. Jason Ritter is in it as one of the coaches. Uh, Ellen Burstyn, Common is in the movie. John Hurd. It's a great cast. Uh, but what's amazing about this movie, what's really amazing is the way that it handles memory. So ultimately, this story is about, and this movie is about how we handle our memories the movie handles it in a way that I've never seen before in a film. So it's the, the entire movie, it's flipping back and forth between Laura Dern as an adult, looking back at her memories and the way that she has changed her memories to compensate for the abuse that she encountered. And so the movie is not only a journey through a narrative, but it's a journey through how she is remembering these things. Like I said, it can be brutal to watch, but it is a great story of coming to terms with your past, how your past affects you, and being truthful with yourself. What's really great about this one is there are so many biographical movies. Green Book comes to mind as a movie that came out this year that's a biographical story that if you talk to the people that were there, apparently gets everything wrong. This story is autobiographical, so it's written and directed by the woman that 
these things happen to. Wow. So there is no questioning the authenticity of these memories. It's just, it's great. It's currently streaming on HBO, uh, HBO Now. So if you can go there and watch it, it's worth your time. Like I said, it's hard to watch in places. So just keep that in mind. That sounds great. Yeah, thanks. I hadn't heard of that one. Yep. Okay, on to number two. My number two, man, this is a hard decision. Is uh, And again, I, I am shocked that this is not a Best Picture nominee. And I'm shocked that the lead actress didn't get a, an actress nomination. And it's eighth grade. So this is an independent film. It probably didn't come to your big multiplexes. It was a small movie, and it's just about a young girl in like the final, is it the final week of her eighth grade year, I think? I think so. How do you describe it? It's uh, it's uncomfortable and it's endearing. During the whole movie, you, you kind of relive your own eighth grade year, I think, because it so authentically portrays what childhood is like during that time from the child's perspective. And like you see her getting into these situations that are kind of like her stepping on the train tracks and you know the freight train is coming. And you're just like, oh, no, oh, oh, dear, don't do that. Please don't do that. Because you've been there yourself and you know how it feels and you just want to reach out and hug her. You know, there's a, there's at least one scene in it that's really hard to watch. If, if you're worried about that kind of stuff, just know that it's going to be okay. It's going to go in a direction that's going to be okay. Uh, and then it's just the, the father in this, in this movie is, is wonderful. I, just, I can't say enough good things about it. I feel like I'm, everybody who has a, a young girl needs to watch this movie. I think it'll give people a way of understanding what their children are going through, especially in the internet age with YouTube and Instagram and all the kind of things that that entails. Man, it's just absolutely, it's hilarious. It's moving. It's terrifying. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm a fan of the movie. I, it's not going to make my top 10, but I like it a lot. Yeah, I know. It's I'm crazy. shocked. Uh, there are a couple of movies that people absolutely <laughs> love. I guess I'm the contrarian this year, and I don't mean that that I didn't like them. Notice there's a distinct lack of spider in my top ten uh, oh, yeah. as well. It's not because I don't like them. It's just because I didn't like them as much as I liked these other ones. And Eighth Grade is a great example of that. I liked it a lot. I thought it was super honest and super awkward in all the all the best ways. Yeah, I loved the dad character. All, all of the all the things you said are true and and right so uh, yeah, except it's, it's one that, that it's number two <laughs> it's but it's one that everybody should see yeah, yeah absolutely if you're uncomfortable with uh the way eighth graders talk in 2019 you're going to be uncomfortable in this movie so uh my number two is uh mary poppins returns yes i wanted to see it opening night i wanted to see it early on but uh, we waited a little while mostly because i was scared that i wasn't going to love it as much as i hoped i would were you a fan of the first one? I love the first one. My kids love okay. the first one. We're big fans. And I love Emily Blunt. And I love, 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 love Lin-Manuel Miranda. It had all of the things in the world going for it. So let me ask you a question. What do you love about Lin-Manuel? Like, obviously Hamilton, but I'd never, I don't know that I'd ever seen him in a film before. Well, yeah, I hadn't seen him in a film before either. But okay. um, based on the Twitter follows and based on the just the personality and the okay so you love him as a person not necessarily as an actor yes we, i sort of love him as a creator of gotcha films. okay and so the, to see him on the big screen in this role seemed like this is this is what i've been waiting for and then the movie started and it was all right yeah everything about it was right and down to the fact that the animation is hand-drawn 
instead oh, yeah. of CGI. The movie opens with these still hand-drawn images of the, you know, the cityscapes of London, of scenes that we'll see later in the movie. Yeah, and are also the paintings of the father character, which I love. Correct. The thing about this movie, so if you grew up watching Mary Poppins, when you watch Mary Poppins, you're one of the kids. From your perspective as one of the kids. And so I grew up being, you know, feeling like I was Jane and Michael Banks. But now that I'm 41, I've got kids of my own. When I see Mary Poppins Returns, I'm still Jane and Michael Banks. So I have the perspective. I still, I'm able to put myself in the kids' shoes for the movie, but I'm also, I can also feel what the, the father feels. Yeah. And so for me, this movie was so powerful and at the very end of the movie, I won't tell you exactly what's going on because I don't want to ruin the scene if you haven't seen it. Um, the last song kicks up and Michael finally understands that all of the things that he experienced as a child with Mary Poppins were true. <laughs> it's and so in good. The song, in the song, he says, and I'm, I'm going to read it so I quote it right. He says, Jane, I remember it's all true. Every impossible thing we imagined with Mary Poppins, it all happened. And that was when the tears came. Yeah. And in the theater, I cried like a baby. And all I could think about was, as somebody who's, who's a pastor, but who struggles with doubt, I have to remind myself all the time that all of the impossible things that I believe are true. <laughs> That's so great. And so when I heard Michael say, it's all true, everything is that we remember it it all happened it's all true i i lost it and yeah. i and i i cried in the theater yeah i cried these like incredible and i'm tearing up right now i cried these incredible tears of joy and it yeah. was because mary poppins had brought all of that to reality for me this most these most impossible things had brought them all to reality for me yeah in a way that I can't remember a movie doing. Yeah, man, I'm so right there with you. So so good. And you know, another reason that Mary Poppins succeeds, where something like Christopher Robin doesn't, is that I don't know that any kid would enjoy Christopher Robin. Right. It's made for for parents or adults who remember Winnie the Pooh, whereas Mary Poppins, while it is completely accessible to parents and adults who want to remember Mary Poppins, it is absolutely for the whole family. Like, everybody can get in and enjoy that, no matter where they are. It's not looking back at something we've lost. It's looking forward to something we will gain again. Yep. You know absolutely. what I mean? Oh, it's so good. It's so yep. good. Again, see it on the big screen. See the see the colors and hear the music and all of those things. They'll, they'll be great for years and years and years to come on your, on your DVD player or your streaming service or whatever. But for the first time, please go see this movie in the theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right, we ready for number one? Number one, let's hear it. All right. Well, again, I, like just hearing you talk about Mary Poppins almost makes me want to rearrange my whole list. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, the same thing. <laughs> but uh, my number one is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. There it is. I mean, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. I'm a huge fan of the short story format. I'm a huge fan of Flannery O'Connor, and I think this is a fusion of all those things. On top of that, it's it is like it's remarkably good filmmaking, like not just on the camera level, but on the writing and scripting level. I immediately, after having seen it the first couple of times, went and read the script, which is fantastic. Yep. It's just so good, and it's good in a way that movies are never good. 
Like nobody does this. Like nobody gets away with this. And it's completely revolutionary. On the one hand, it's not revolutionary. It's it's doing Westerns again. It's doing stuff that we've always done. But it's putting to get the things together in a way that I've never seen before. And I just desperately want to see more of, you know, this is more than a movie. This is a piece of literature in a very real way. Like all of it together as a whole doesn't immediately make sense. It requires, I think, reviewing to really get in and see what's going on under the hood and kind of understand why it's structured the way it is. But just the way that it's structured, for instance, is is beautiful. You know, they open with, you know, the, the story of Buster Scruggs and, uh, you know, he's this kind of like, it's this ridiculously violent tale. This kind of, I think, kind of poking its finger at our American uh, love of violence and uh, kind of the myth of redemptive violence, you know, because here's Buster Scruggs, the guy in the white hat, and he's just killing people left and right. But we all laugh it off because he's the good guy, right? Mm -hmm. Bad guys are just getting their comeuppance. And I think, you know, part of what's so telling about the movie is that a lot of people watch that one and they're like, all right, yeah, this is great. Give us more of this. And then they're, (laughs) they're disappointed in the rest of the movie and they don't even realize that they've just been convicted. You know, because you are supposed to be horrified by that movie or that short. And it doesn't work if it's not horribly violent. Like if that violence hadn't been there, then the story essentially would have meant nothing. Anyway, that's just one example. And so it starts from there and then it just begins this kind of like, you know, six chapter examination of like how we encounter death in, in America and how we think about one another as people and and the land and oh my gosh i just i love every second of this movie it's it's absolutely literature in the truest way and that's not something that i think i can say about anything else on my list if that makes sense and that's why i put it at the top it's just it's uh it elevates the art form of cinema beyond what we usually see and that's commendable yeah i mean Obviously, I agree with everything you just said. And, and like you said at the beginning, these top five, you know, you could probably shuffle the order a little bit and I'd be I'd be OK with it. And that's yeah. I, I remember at the second I watched this movie, as soon as it was as soon as it was over, I posted something on Facebook like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a miracle. Yeah, because it's just it's so new and so different and it doesn't feel like anything it feels like everything else and it doesn't feel like anything else if that makes sense yeah it feels like the 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 kind of the culmination of the cohen brothers art to me yeah like it wraps up everything they do so well into one like tight cohesive package that is just it's just wonderful huge fan love it watch it uh, what's interesting to me, uh, before I do my last one, although it fits in this category as well, is a number of the movies that we've talked about are movies that either debuted or found sort of found their footing on streaming platforms. So The Ballad of Buster Scruggs yeah. is a Netflix original. My number three, The Tale, was released by HBO. And then my number one is also a Netflix original. And it's one that I don't think a lot of people have seen and... It just, it killed me. It's probably the only movie that I've ever seen that begins with a Gerard Manley Hopkins quote. Whoa, what? So the first thing on the screen are the words, Oh, unreachably after evil, but uttering truth, which is from The Wreck of the Deutschland by by Hopkins. And it's a perfect sort of salutation for how to enter into this film. So the movie is called Hold the Dark. And it is uh, directed by Jeremy Saulnier, who is the guy behind the movies Blue Ruin and Green Room, which have come out over the past few years, and they're great. And he's also one of the driving forces behind True Detective, 
And if you know that, if you know those movies, and if you know True Detective, you'll you'll understand the aesthetic of Hold the Dark. It's dark and it's grim, and um, the landscape is stark. And it's about the basic story is we're in the the outer reaches of Alaska in this small village, and a woman's young son is taken away by wolves, and she reaches out to this naturalist writer, and. Uh, He's played by Jeffrey Wright, who comes to help her find out what happened to her son and kill the wolf that killed her her boy. And that's where the movie begins. And it goes a very, very different way than that. Hold the Dark, again, Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård is in this, um, Riley Keogh. Uh, the cast is good. You might not have heard of many of them, but they're great in the movie. The performances are really good. But it's a movie, as opposed to something like Mary Poppins, that's concerned with stark reality. And in fact, it's, it's sort of a perfect counterpoint to Mary Poppins in that way. So while Mary Poppins is concerned with creating or acknowledging the reality that our imaginations can create, there's literally a song in Mary Poppins called Can You Imagine That? Hold the Dark is very much concerned with what is. And so even so much as there's a scene, there's the scene in Mary Poppins, if you've seen it, where Mary and the kids are singing about their their mother that's passed away and the song is called uh, the place where lost things go I think something like that and it's about how those that are gone are still with us in some way and in hold the dark there's a scene where the dad is telling his young son that he has to go fight in the war overseas and he says when I go I'll always be with you and the kids response is simply don't lie in other words it's not true. You're leaving me. You won't be here. I don't need the the fairy tale. And that's gives you an insight into, into how the movie works. And it gets my top spot because it's not only about sort of honestly looking at the darkness, but it's about being willing to testify to it. It's about being willing to witness the darkness, even when you can't stop it. There's a prominent figure in the movie that's a police officer, but this is not a cop saves the day kind of story. It's chilling, it's grim, and it's remarkably true. And this sounds like exactly my kind of movie. I haven't even heard yeah. of it. I don't know if you're a fan, Pete, of True Detective. but um, I loved season one. Yeah, I, I, I liked season one a lot. Uh, I didn't love it. I liked the first two-thirds of it, or the first three-quarters of it. I didn't think it stuck the ending, but whatever. Uh, the new season of True Detective, the episodes are directed by the same guy that directed this movie, Jeremy Saulnier. Okay. Um, so that that aesthetic, really, you feel it. You feel his style. And you should go back and watch Green Room again, which is about Patrick Stewart as a neo-Nazi, and it's really good. Anyway, Hold the Dark, at its core, is about sticking around to tell people about the things that you've seen. Not that many people have seen it, and I wish they would. So, uh, yeah, so that's my number one movie of the year. Did you say that's on Netflix? It's a Netflix original, yep. All right, I'm going to check that one out. That sounds yep, great. Yep, 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 definitely. Well, that's a surprise. that you, you you got two in the top five that I had never even heard of. You know me. That's how I like to that's I how know, I roll. I know. Uh, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't just briefly acknowledge that the Oscar nominations this year, yeah. I just yeah. feel like, are bizarre. Um, I mean, I feel like some of them are bad. Yeah. Um, not Not even just bizarre. Now, I haven't seen a few of them. But I don't think Green Book is a good movie. I'm probably gonna get hammered for that. But well, I'm gonna like Black Panther. Like I like, I love Black Panther, but I yeah. just can't. There, there's no situation in which that is the pinnacle of a, of cinema in the world. Correct. You know, 
Like, so uh, why is it there? It's just I don't understand it. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I think Black Panther being there is sort of a nod to you. Remember, there was that that moment. There was that five minutes last year where they were going to enact that uh, right. best popular movie category. Right. And I think in lieu of that, now I don't mind it getting a nomination. Like that's okay. But if if this is the best we have, it's a bad it's a bad year. Yeah, get right. But I do mind it getting a nomination when it's bumping things off the list, like sure. Eighth Grade or Bas- Battle of Buster Scruggs. Like those are objectively better movies, you know. So I'm with you. Anyway, it was a good year for movies. Uh, it was okay. It was. I looked back at my 2017 list, and I, my 2017 list, I think, was a lot stronger. Yeah. What What movies are you looking forward to in 2019? Avengers Endgame, obviously. Yep. Uh, Star Wars Episode Nine. And the final season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, well, ca- you left out Captain Marvel, which... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of indifferent. Like, I'm looking forward to it, I guess. But, like, I don't have a whole lot riding on that horse. This year, we get live-action remakes of, I think, Aladdin, Ugh. The Lion King, Ugh. and Dumbo. Ugh. Which, I'm, I mean, Dumbo interests me a little bit because it's Tim Burton. Yeah, that's the only But other one. than that, yeah. Uh, I think we get Toy Story 4 this year. Oh, really? I believe that's this year. Oh, um, man. They're just bound to determine to keep making Toy Story movies until yeah. they make a bad one. Yeah. Oh, the movie that I'm most excited for this year, hands down, and I'll probably be let down, is the new Hellboy. Um, because I love Hellboy. So I'm pretty excited about that one. So anyway, that's it. Um, All right. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Yeah, it was a great list. And uh, to, to you guys listening at home, we'll be back soon with uh, some regular fixed it in post episodes we're excited to bring them to you so yeah thanks for listening that's a wrap on this episode of fixed it in post the rabbit room podcast about movies thanks to pete peterson and andrew osinga for our theme music we'll see you next time